0: Welcome, everybody, to the All Things Sports Podcast. My name is Matthew Gordon. I am here today with Ryan Baylo, Jack Verone, Brandon Freeman, and Matt Slatiky. We got the whole squad together for our very special guest today. If you've watched selection Sunday or just college basketball in general, you know who this guy is, and his name is Seth Davis. Seth, my man, thank you for joining us today.
1: Matthew and company, what's going on, everybody? Nobody has jobs? We're we're working right now. I had to
0: block out some time for you, but we're all working.
1: All right. Well, don't don't you. I'll sign a note to your bosses that you you had other things to do.
0: Perfect. That's just what we need. Thanks for having
1: me. Of course, man.
0: Um, So the members of the pod and I have a couple questions today. Let's get right into it. So I'll start us off. Can you tell us a little bit about your story as a reporter and how you got to where you are today?
1: Woo, it's a long and arduous journey. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I assure you I have not worked a day in my life and I am not breaking the streak with this podcast. Uh, Reader's Digest is, uh, I grew up in suburban Maryland, big fan of the Washington football team back then when it was worth rooting for, um, decided at an early age that I wanted to become a sportscaster back then. You guys are too young to really understand this, but you got your sports news from your local newscast. Channel 4 was NBC. Channel 7 was ABC. Channel 9 was CBS. The local sports guy would come on at 6.34 and do seven minutes of sports. And I pointed at him and said, that's me. So I feel like I'm lucky in that um, I really did kind of know what I wanted to do from an early age. I always, though... appreciated writing and journalism. A lot of that comes from my father, who was active in politics, but also he went to Yale. He was the chairman of the Yale Daily News. We memorized every line from the movie, All the President's Men. So I had this romantic notion about journalism and writers and reporters. So I had that twin track, right, of the writing and and, and the TV. Back then, there wasn't a whole lot of that, but there were a couple examples of guys who were doing that. A guy named Pete Axthelm was kind of a rye commentator uh, on ESPN. Will McDonough Mm -hmm. was a a NFL writer for the Boston Herald. He had a really thick Boston accent and he was on the NFL today. And he'd say, well, I talked to Bill Parcells this week, uh, Brent, and he uh, says that uh, Phil Simms is gonna play. And it's weird because even in high school, I looked at that and said, well, that's me. You know, I could be that writer on TV or I could be the sportscaster. I could be the play by play guy. Didn't say, can't say that I really formulated the plan but that's really where it all began. I went to Duke, was fortunate enough to go there, even though they don't have a a journalism or communications major or school or anything like that. I was a political science major, but without really thinking of it this way, that worked to my advantage because I was the only guy at the school who you know, really only a couple of us who wanted to do that. Everybody else wanted to work for a living. So my sophomore year, I started up a a TV show on on the basketball team, which had not won a championship yet, but had been to a couple of Final Fours, got it approved, hosted it, uh, shot camera footage, edited it. My first guest on the show was Mike Krzyzewski. Um, And I watched them win uh, two national championships as a student and just kind of rode that college basketball train. I covered high school sports in Connecticut uh, for the New Haven Register for two and a half years. Um, all they ever wanted to do was write for Sports Illustrated. So I was able to apply um, at that point as, as a low-level reporter, which meant Basically, I was a fact checker, so I was on stories that other people were writing, going through them line by line and checking all the facts, which might sound like it's tedious work. But if you think about it, story lands on my desk. The first thing I could do is call the writer. Where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? How'd you do that? Then you call the source and go over it, go back to the writer. So it was an unbelievable education. I still had the TV track in my mind and was fortunate that at the time they started up a new 24 hour sports network called CNNSI combination of CNN and Sports Illustrated, but a lot of the Sports Illustrated writers um, were not interested in doing TV and frankly, weren't very good at it. So I was like a kind of low-level college basketball guy, barely even getting in the magazine, and I was doing a good amount of TV work. Um, I uh, got an agent, you know, who was at my level, which is to say nowhere, and we kind of came up together and uh, got a Final Four, do a segment on CBS. They liked me. They invited me back to do some more, and it just kind of kept rolling on. So I wrote for Sports Illustrated for 22 years. I covered a lot of golf for them as well. Um, and then, as uh, as happened, I want to say five, five years to be 27. Uh, I got laid off. I got the call saying we're letting you go. Um, As uh, you know, SI is really is a whole nother story about that place kind of crashed and burned. They're actually doing great work right now, which I'm very, very gratified to see. Signed on with a brand new company called The Athletic. And again, unbelievably fortuitous timing. The thing was just getting started. They had closed their first Series A fundraiser. They didn't have any national guys and I didn't have a job. <laughs> so our desperation brought us together, signed on with them. And I'm with them now. I always lose track of time. I want to say five years. Yeah, five years sounds about right. Maybe four. Um, And they just got bought by the New York Times. So it's an incredible business model. And so, you know, I live in Los Angeles with my family and I fly back and forth to New York uh, to do my CBS work. I write for The Athletic. I do book projects on the side. I stay busy. I work out. I sleep. I play golf once in a while. I watch my kids play soccer and baseball and I walk my dogs and I treat my wife to sushi. So that's my job. That's my life, I should say, not my job.
0: Love, this. love to hear it, love to see it.
1: Matt? Yes, yes, I mean, you pretty much covered a lot of it, but my, my main question is what ultimately made you uh, decide to get into the sports industry? Like, what was your ultimate deciding factor of how you got into it? Well, it's, it's, it's a great question because on the one hand, we say the sports industry. So obviously you gotta be a big sports fan, right? But for me, really the passion is writing. Um, and so I sort of give that to young folks as almost like a cautionary tale. So yeah, it's nice that you like sports, but you know, you could be home on your couch on the weekends watching sports, like you know, other people, you know. Do you really want to work in sports? Do you wanna people say I want to work in sports? Well, what is it about sport? You like marketing, you like advertising, you like running a business, you like writing? Those skills can apply to lots of different things. Um, so for me, it really was the, the, the journalism piece that, uh, has driven me from the beginning, having said that, if you're going to do this, why not be around sports? Right. I mean, it's, it's just fun. I mean, I'm obviously a big sports fan and have followed it. I wasn't like, you know, like I said, I was a big Washington football fan, um, growing up. I wasn't one of these people who knew everything about every sport. Um, I actually discovered college basketball when I was in high school, I became a big Maryland Terrapins fan, which I know is, uh. Uh, a familiar concept on on this podcast um and for a kid in maryland at that time len bias was it i mean he was i say he is the the cupid who shot the the arrow through my heart for college basketball and of course he tragically died um after he, two days after he got drafted by the boston celtics so um yeah it's it really the journalism piece and you know it's interesting I, I covered high school sports in connecticut and i was lucky enough to get a job at sports illustrated and so now, college basketball, having come from Duke, was something that I was interested in. I had maybe a little bit deeper level of expertise, but I also, at Sports Illustrated, saw opportunity there. Because on the NFL beat, for example, we had Peter King, who owned it. On the college basketball beat, we had a guy named Alex Wolf, who was an unbelievable writer, um, but wasn't necessarily their resident nuts and bolts reporter. They had these inside columns inside the NBA inside the NFL oh, excuse me drinking coffee um, inside the NFL inside college basketball so I, I got to to write the inside college basketball column so again it's I, I like sports and, and I like watching sports but it's the it's the the journalism and reporting piece and then seizing the opportunity um because again you know I covered college basketball I covered a lot of golf at sports Illustrated I could have maybe been a full-time golf guy maybe, maybe that would for me if the opportunity was there but I established myself on the college basketball beat. And then once I started doing television um, for CBS, then those two things really, really converged.
0: Brandon, all you.
1: Yeah. I mean, that all sounds like, honestly, like a dream to me. I know Matthew and I, we were on our high school newspaper and we're both avid sports fans, but I'm kind of curious, what does a typical, you know, day look like for you when it's like in season? So, like right about now, you know, college basketball starting up, I think in a couple of days, honestly, but what does a typical like, day look like for you? Well, it depends what my assignments are at the time. So, you know, I, I guess I don't really have a typical day, but I do kind of have a rhythm of a schedule once the season begins. And part of it is the travel going back and forth to CBS. Uh, you know, my main weekly writing assignment for The Athletic during the season is is a Monday column. Uh, called Hoop Thoughts. I've been doing it for many years, starting at si.com. That's actually at, at Sports Illustrated as a side piece. You talk about seizing opportunity. You know, it's very hard to get in that magazine because I'm, you know, I was a low level writer and there were what, 30, 40 uh, writers on staff, and there are only five or six um, stories in the table of contents every week. And these are the best sports writers on the planet. So, I, you know, it's like I felt like every week I was it up against Tiger Woods. So when the Internet came along, you know, all those those high level guys weren't that interested. I'm like, hey, let me write. And so I kind of established this voice uh, on the beat. So Monday's my main hoop thoughts. Um, I do a couple of picks columns um, during the week for, for the athletic and then. Um, You know, starting in December, I fly to New York for Saturday duties in the CBS studio. But then in January, I add a Thursday night um, uh, assignment to the CBS Sports Network studio. So I take the Wednesday red eye to New York, kind of check in my hotel, sleep, work out, go to the studio four or five o'clock I work in the studio till about one in the morning, which is kind of good because I keep my body on West Coast time. Friday's kind of a free day, but I always have a work to do, writing to do, a picks column to do, whatever prep work. Uh, and then Saturday is really my longest day because I get to CBS probably mid-morning and then I'll do whatever we have for CBS, whether it's a one game or a double header with you know programming in between. And then I go across the hall to CBS Sports Network. And then I'll work in that studio till one in the morning. So that's a super long day. And then on Sunday I'm back in the CBS studio for, usually that's a shorter day, and then I'm flying back to LA, but all in that time, uh, I'm writing my hoop thoughts column. And part of the challenge with that, with hoop thoughts is, you know, I can't really write that on Monday and Tuesday because you want it to be fresh and newsworthy. And, you know, something happens on Saturday. And now I'm trying to get people on the phone and by the way I'm going on TV. So after halftime, you know, while the game's going on, I'm back up in the hallway watching the games, but I'm on the phone with like Eric Musselman or Dan Hurley, or, you know, whoever I need to talk to and writing and then a top 25. So the weekend is, is, is really quite the, uh, quite the scramble. And then I come home on Monday and then interspersed with all that, by the way, you know, I do have book projects that I do. And then I'll also have, you know, profiles and bigger stories for The Athletic that I'll be working on. Um, You know, I might sneak in a trip to go interview someone. And then over the course of a couple of weeks during all that other time, I'm working the phones and I'm writing and and developing a story. So I'm kind of going all the time. Um, And I'll add, by the way, that as you can imagine, between hoop thoughts And the picks that I do for the athletic, I'm really, and I watch tons of games, whether it's Synergy or on my laptop uh, on TV, obviously, but I actually prefer the computer because you can fast forward and do it more quickly. All that really helps my prep for TV because on on a day in TV, I might comment on 40 different teams or depending on what's going on. So it really helps me stay on top of things. It all kind of works together and vice versa. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy to just think about. We all see, you know, the articles and the broadcasts, but just to see how much, you know, work you have to put in and the logistics of it, that's crazy. Thanks for that. Yeah, a lot goes into it. But like I said, I I don't think of it as work. So my, my only wish for you guys and anyone else listening, my own kids, whoever, is to wake up in the morning and be excited about your day. Like if you're looking forward to going to work or whatever you have going on that day, I don't care how much money you make, how quote unquote successful you are, how big your house is. That's all I would wish for you guys.
0: Got to do what you love. That's for sure. Love the advice, Jack. So, Seth, this is more of a college basketball specific question. Um, With your long history covering college basketball, who are some of the best teams, in your opinion, since you started getting into this? Who are some generational teams that, you know, stand out to you?
1: Well, I guess I'll start close to home, and that's the 91-92 the Duke dynasty. You know, it's interesting. If you go back and you, you see the end of the UNLV game in 91, which I was there uh, in the Dome in Indianapolis not covering the game. I was in the stands of my fraternity brothers. I was a junior, and we were going nuts, obviously. And ironically, the UNLV point guard on the court, Greg Anthony, became my broadcast partner for many years at CBS. Um at the end of the game, Jim Nance says, Duke has pulled off one of the most incredible upsets in, in the history of college basketball. And that Vegas team was great. But you look at that Duke team, It's was like Bobby Hurley, Christian Laettner, Grant Hill. They won the, the, the title the next year. Like it, it, in retrospect, it doesn't seem so that that 92 Duke team was number one every week of the season. They actually lost twice, but the other teams that week had also lost. So they retained their number one ranking. That, that's a really hard uh, crown, very heavy crown to carry. Uh, other than that, a couple of Kentucky teams stand out. The 96 Kentucky team that Rick Patino won with Ron Mercer and Antoine Walker um, definitely stands out in my mind, as does their 2012 team with Anthony Davis. Uh, I think that team only lost one game, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, the Gonzaga team that, that just lost to Baylor during the COVID uh, tournament went undefeated all the way. Um, that definitely stands out. Um, in my mind. I'm sure I'm leaving um some other ones out, but those are the ones that leap to mind.
0: Yes, Seth. Uh staying kind of on that college basketball topic, being a Duke alumni, how do you like see this future without Coach K? Do you think there's a big change in the Duke program? Or do you think we
1: just pick off where you left off and stay a top five program going forward? Well, probably both. I mean, I think I think Krzyzewski went to 12 Final Fours, if that sounds about right, and maybe off by one or two. Um, And he won five national championships, and he he won, what, 1,100 games, something like that. So as far as Shire goes, I'll take the under on all of those numbers. Um, What's interesting, though, is that his first two recruiting classes are off the charts. And it's actually kind of interesting to me, and we'll see how well it works out because – The whole one and done model is kind of going out the window because these guys do have other options now. There's Overtime Elite, there's G League Ignite, there's Overseas. Um, So there's fewer of them. And there was really only, you know, three to six anyway. So if if there's only six at, at the most coming in, I'm talking about players that as freshmen can help you win a championship. Okay. Probably usually about six tops, usually less than that. But if we say six, so if Two of them go to the G league and one of them goes overseas. Now we're down to three. So if you look at like Kansas's team that won the championship last year, they didn't have any one and dones. Um, And so, but Shire is is still recruiting those guys, but any coach, by the way, will take them. (laughs) So to say, well, I'm not going to take this guy because he's going to leave after year. Well, you know, I think Paula Bancaro was, was a pretty good college player Got, got them to a final four and is obviously up to an amazing start in the NBA. So, you know, I don't look at the Duke job similar to to Hubert Davis last year, I thought offered a great template for Shire first year, absolute disaster. The first half of the season, they lost, they were losing games by 37, 39 to Kentucky. And they lost by 22 to Duke. I want to say actually lost at home to a terrible Pittsburgh team. And it wasn't so much the X's and O's that some of that, that got Hubert out of it, but Hubert Davis is just a great dude. And he just never made it about himself, never got caught up in everything, just made it about his guys in the locker room. And that's how they were able to, to, to push through that. And I think Shire has a lot of that. I think Shire is, is young, but he's got an old soul. I think he's a he's a fresh thinker um, and it's all set up for him. He's got a great staff. Like I said, the recruiting you know, ph- you know, phenomenally. And look, they're going to lose a few and everyone's going to say, oh, here we go. He's no Coach K. But I think John knows not to get caught up in all that. So, he, he no, look, Coach K is you've got K and Wooden and that's it, in my view. And, and no one is going to do that. Um, but I do think that Shire, as Hubert Davis proved last year, is certainly capable of maintaining the excellence that we've all come to expect from Duke.
0: Awesome. So before we let you go, we just talked ACC. Let's talk a little Big Ten. Who do we like coming out of the Big Ten, and what teams should we watch out for?
1: Well, clearly Maryland and Wisconsin are are the, are the favorites. By uh, I don't know uh, about that. No, no, Interesting. You're actually in the Big Ten because it's a little bit more wide open um, than to expect. It's going to be the same five or six teams at the top that have been there every year. You know, most people, including myself would peg Indiana as the favorite going in. I think that's poison for the Hoosiers. I'm worried that it's poison for the Hoosiers because, you know, everyone is so starved. You know, it's not like, you know, Michigan and Michigan State, Purdue. They've kind of been there consistently every year. So for one of those teams to be picked to win the Big Ten, it's nice, but it's not like, oh, wow, Indiana, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, Indiana fans are stoked about this team. And they should be. And I hope they do well. But, you know, you're only one twisted ankle away or one whatever away from things going downhill. And in that league, once if you get in a bad spot, you can drop three or four in a row in a hurry, you know, going to a place like Rutgers where they'll fight you it's a physical league. you know, one after the other. So Big Ten is going to be more wide open than it's been. But um, I, I, you know, I do think that Indiana going into the season should definitely be the favorite.
0: I totally agree with you, Seth. Man, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you, and we're looking forward to following you during college basketball season, man.
1: Yeah, man, you guys got me psyched for the season now. I got to go start typing. And, Let's uh, go, uh, and 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 let me know if you guys, you know, when you, once you guys post this, hit me up on Twitter so I can give it a retweet. Okay.
0: Absolutely, Seth. Thank you so much, man.
1: Hi, right, Matthew. Good talking to you guys. Keep appreciate crushing. It.